part of transformation is actually getting to not just the team's motivation, the company's motivation, but getting down to each leader and trying to understand, do they buy into that vision? Why or why not? Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. In a recent episode of Status Go, we launched a new series of discussions about your cloud journey. Our initial episode, Cloud First Means People First, focused on the changes you and your team will need to navigate while on your cloud journey. One of the things that jumped out at me about today's guest was part of the description of her current role as AVP at AT&T Entertainment on her LinkedIn profile. That description reads in part, strategic focus on driving workforce skills transformation the transition to DevOps and resiliency and security for on-premises and cloud infrastructure. Strategic focus on workforce skills transformation. Rarely do you see strategy and workforce mentioned in the same sentence. That combination piqued my curiosity. As I learned more about her, I found a person who, with an engineering background, has always been about people somebody who truly embodies people first. Today's guest is Cecilia Como. Welcome to the status quo, Cecilia. Jeff, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I'd love to start our conversation today with your journey, your career journey. Can you share with us a little bit about your story? Sure, I'd love to. And um, my career journey is one that is not linear. So I think many people are surprised to learn that I came straight out of engineering school from the University of Illinois and started my career as a military communication analyst. So really designing and analyzing scenarios for wartime and the end of the world. Um, and I did that while I was a, a Hughes fellow at Hughes Space and Com. And at the end of that, I realized um, I didn't want to stay in the classified world for my entire career. So I, I joined an internal project within the company, which lucky me turned into its own company, which is DirecTV. So a satellite TV company challenging the cable industry uh, with an improved customer experience, um, better selection, pricing. And um, that business just took off. And so as part of the engineering team, of a company that had a startup culture, but the cash, you know, from a, a larger company, which was Hughes, I just uh, moved from, uh, you know, over a range of different engineering roles, everything from doing satellite design to negotiating the transmission standards for high definition to uh, testing and certifying consumer electronics, and then also leading big projects to build out broadcast center infrastructure. I'm so lucky to have had such a range of opportunities up to the point where uh, I switched over to the IT space because I got a call. I'm still at DirecTV, but they asked me to come over to IT, of which I knew nothing about, um, and asked me to help them with a cloud strategy. 
and with supplier strategy. Um, and so that was my first dip in, in the water in terms of cloud and DevOps. And I worked there until the AT&T acquisition of DirecTV, where I then uh, joined some of the AT&T teams working on cloud, uh, cloud transformation, but in their own kind of AT&T specific ways, like in the network space, um, in the enterprise, IT, and in customer care space. So today I'm uh, an AVP uh, overseeing the platform operations for entertainment services. So the portfolio of AT&T's entertainment products, we run a 24-7, you know, tier three technical uh, service, um, support service. So just to reinforce, I've had a very nonlinear career, but I've had a career that's been filled with opportunity. That's fascinating to move from the engineering and design and then into into IT. I think that says a lot for your ability just to make that jump uh, from one discipline to another. I know we talked about this uh, on our call a few weeks ago that you and I share somewhat of a common past because I worked for Thompson Consumer Electronics, who was manufacturing the set-top boxes for DirecTV back in the day. And so we, we kind of crossed paths just a little bit there with our past. Me, I was on the IT side uh, working on order ship bill systems. So it was uh, not quite the exact same thing that you were doing to have a part in those designs of that. And I know you've had uh, several patents that you've been working on a team related to satellite and the communication between the two. Has that experience with going through the patent process and all that that entails, has that helped you in your current role in any way? Not necessarily the fact that you have them, but the process of going through that. Yes, for, for sure. I think one of the beautiful things about engineering is the ability to see your idea turned into reality. And mm-hmm. uh, in the patent uh, writing process, sometimes you see it turned into a very specific reality that is very important uh, for the company, you know, very specific implementation. But some of the patents, you know, I have some patents, one in materials, where the patent is general, and you see it applied in the industry in ways you couldn't have imagined. So yeah, as a technologist, having a patent is very exciting because it's uh, a chance, an opportunity to see the manifestations of your your ideas and the range of them, and then also to know that your idea has value in the business world. Yeah, that, that has to be rewarding. I want to go back in time a little bit. You graduated from University of Illinois with a degree in electrical engineering. But my question is, what led you, or dare I say, what inspired you to pursue electrical engineering? As with the story of my career, it it wasn't um, a direct decision. I I had actually started out as a pre-med major. I was going to be a doctor. And just for fun, I picked an engineering elective. So I actually picked a range of electives, some of them art, some of them uh, PE, (laughs) and one in engineering and semiconductors. And I I really did not know in advance how much I would enjoy that class. Uh, What I was so taken by was when we had our first test, the professor said, you can bring whatever materials you want. And I, I literally saw my classmates some of them bring in a cart full of books. 
I had a one page set of notes and I was a little bit worried at the beginning of the test that I was underprepared. But um, what that experience demonstrated for me is just, you know, my brain works in fundamental engineering concepts. And once you understand those, you know, you can apply them in a, in a number of situations. And so I really just enjoyed that class so much that I realized my brain is probably more geared to engineering than it is to medicine. And so I, I switched majors. That's another fascinating aspect uh, about you, I think, is that you do have engineering brain, right? Mm -hmm. You're able to solve very complex problems because you understand the engineering behind it. Yet you're also very much a people person. And that kind of crosses stereotypes, right? Engineering, mm -hmm. you, you think uh, that they don't like to be around people, but yet you've got these tremendous people skills too. Where did those come from in your background, Cecilia? Some of it, I think I'm just born a people person, but I'm also, you know, a, a part-time artist. In fact, I, I train with local artists. I teach at elementary schools, my children's elementary schools, but I consider engineering an art form. And there is elegance to taking engineering techniques and being able to produce all sorts of things that, you know, people use, they love, uh, it changes their lives. So I really see engineering um, as an art form. And when you start to think of it that way, then you look, start to look at the artists, engineers as artists, myself, but also other people, and realize that we don't all have the same vision of the world. We don't all have the same way of expressing, you know, our talents or our vision. But then it also makes you realize that individuals and their view of the world are very critical in producing something that's truly innovative, truly focused on solving a certain problem or something that changes the world. So that's why I, uh, I think I gravitate towards people because I think they're the special sauce in seeing engineering uh -huh. realized and come to life. I'm always amazed at the people that are in technology-related careers, whether it's electrical engineering, software engineering, IT, that have a passion for that creative outlet uh, in some way, whether it's art, whether it's music, whether it's writing. That, to me, that's just fascinating because we have these stereotypes that, that it's not a creative job, and it really is a creative job. It is. I want to talk about the obvious here. You are a woman in a male-dominated industry, probably even more so in the ranks of the type of engineering you have been involved in. What has that been like for you? Well, it's been a long journey, I have to say. And looking back on it, you know, this this is my 27th year service anniversary. I just received a notice <laughs> from my company. So when I look at that range of almost 30 years, I can recall, still recall my first couple of days at work uh, feeling like Alice in Wonderland. So I actually showed up at a meeting. I was a military communication analyst. I attended a meeting with, you know, lead government government contractors, of which my company was one, and a table full of generals who sat, sat in rank order. And I remember that experience clearly because on that day, I was sitting at the back of the room, and yet I was called out in that meeting, and not in a good way. <laughs> I was called out as, um, you know, a sign that my company 
was not taking this project seriously because why would they send a young woman? <laughs> and did she even have an engineering degree? And where did she come from? And, you know, sitting in that meeting at first, I thought, who are they talking about? Uh, I was so kind of new and, and naive, and I did not realize until after a few seconds they were talking about me. <laughs> talking about me. Oh. So, yeah. you know, there have been moments in my career, even from the beginning, where as a woman you feel like Alice in Wonderland, like what kind of world have you stepped into? But I think I probably did. I know I did what many uh, women in the workplace do, which is we double down on being excellent at our jobs. So technically excellent prepared, persistent, you know, do two to three times the amount of work, you know, on any project, because the focus always was our work, right, and our excellence um, doing the work. Uh, and so I think that is what it's been like in my career. Now, now, at the, towards the end of my career, now, I think I feel more confident. But definitely, throughout the 30 years, it has been a challenge where I felt that I've had to put in extra effort to prove myself. Well, when we talked a few weeks ago, you describe a time in your career where you had a, a pivot moment. You realized that you didn't have to fit in the box. Can you talk us through that and kind of what led to that epiphany, if you will? Yeah, I think it was about, um, I would say, 10 or 11 years ago when my children were born. And so I actually kind of lost my position at that time because I was out. And when I returned, my job was gone, um, which was, you know, very distressing to me until I received a call um, from a leader in IT. And as I mentioned before, I knew nothing about IT, but I decided to take the call and the interview. And he talked about his vision for I, the IT of the future, and it was cloud-based. It was supplier-driven. And he... Uh, pointed out to me that, you know, I had a well-credentialed background and enough of a reputation for being able to handle tough problems that he wanted me to join his team. And I realized that he was uh, selecting me because I was different and not, and not because I was the same. And in fact, even though he had built, you know, an excellent organization, he was looking for transformation. And he needed a leader with an outsider's perspective uh, in order to help lead that transformation. And I started to notice that I would get more comments and calls around that of, you know, presenting problems. Um, so I, I joke nowadays that you don't call me unless you have trouble. And, and I mean good trouble, meaning uh, your organization or teams need transformation uh, have performance issues that you fundamentally want to change the way you know your your team works. That's when I get the call. So I think it was that moment about ten years ago that I uh, realized I had a pivot. So you brought up the word transformation. That's a great uh, segue into what I wanted to ask you next, which is you've been a champion of transformation pretty much every place you've been, but cloud, DevOps, definitely at DirecTV and at AT&T, how have you been able to drive those transformations? I think the number one important thing is to first listen and observe. Um, just study what the culture of the organization looks like, the skill set, and also the behind the scenes, uh, hidden agendas and motivations. Um, because I think transformation is partially technical, 
but actually majority mindset change. Um, there's no one size fit all solution for it. And so every time I actually dev, uh, DevOps has been a journey for me. This is my fourth kind of DevOps assignment. Um, I'm hopefully getting better at it each time. But every time I always come in and start with a listening mindset, uh, observation mindset, and then start to look at the transformation in two ways. You know, are there technical targets, you know, a new tech stack, uh, new metrics? And then is there a culture or mindset shift that has to take place? And, you know, how will that affect how work is done today versus how work is done in the future. And so starting with that kind of categorization and observation, I always use that to kind of break down the problem and decide, you know, how to, how to approach. So how do you approach that mindset change when you see through your, your listening and your observing that you're definitely going to have to change some mindset within the organization? How do you approach that? Um, I think the most important thing is to understand and communicate motivation. Um, you know, why are we doing this? And you'll find that when you really talk to the range of leaders, even though we usually in meetings present, you know, what, what looks like a very obvious business case and seems obvious that everyone would agree that we need to make these changes in order to evolve our business, you'll find when you talk one-on-one -on -one with the leaders, each leader has their own agenda, their own fears, their own motivations for wanting to either participate or not participate. So part of transformation is actually getting to not just the, the team's motivation, the company's motivation, but getting down to each leader and trying to understand, do they buy into that vision? Why or why not? and what motivations do they have or that we could use to help them align uh, with the plan. So as you were doing this, especially, you know, maybe the first or second time that you brought in the idea of the DevOps culture, you're working in what could be described an old boys network. How were you able to uh, help them see the mindset change that needed to happen were you able to communicate that effectively with them? Did you use different techniques because of that? Yeah, you know, I have to, looking back, my first couple of attempts were pretty terrible. <laughs> but I did learn. I learned very quickly that, number one, as I said, you have to be an active listener and hyper-observant. And I think that's where being an outsider helps, right? There's less emotion um, and more observation uh, if you're a bit removed from the old old boys club, you're not trying to preserve the network, you're trying to change the network. So number one, starting by observing and listening. As I said, every leader has their own motivations, fears, agendas, and try to figure out what that is one-on-one -on -one with those leaders. Uh, and then secondly, um, show do it by showing. So a lot of leaders want to be cloud ready. They want to do the cloud transformation, but they don't know how. how they don't know how that looks. And so I had to be willing to be the guinea pig and even use my own teams to be the guinea pig to demonstrate, right? To, one of the teams I set up was a, a cloud service team to show what what is my vision for that team and show that to the other leaders um, and take criticism of that you know team to try to figure out, you know, what would fit this organization or not. 
And then the third step would be to kind of democratize, right? Once you've hit on some of the key DevOps concepts, whether they're technical or they are cultural mind, mindset shifts, you know, changes in how we do work, it's to allow everyone to be part of the solution and ownership of those ideas, right? To, to fully flush them out and implement them in the way that the organization uh, needs to and wants to. So where does diversity uh, come into play when you're doing these types of transformations within within these teams? Mm-hmm. Do you look for that in the team? Are you building that intentionally? Are you leveraging the differences in the individuals on the team as you're doing that? Uh, for sure, I think I, I look at it in two ways. Number one, I look I always look for leaders in in these situations who I um, have kind of a changed leadership mindset. So they, as I said, sometimes being an outsider is very powerful uh, because you can see uh, what the org needs to do or where they need to go without having emotion to what what you know exists today. So number one, having a diverse set of leaders who can look at the problem, you know, in a range of dimensions, because all of today's problems, I think, for IT leaders are multidimensional and be willing to step in and help with fitting the business case for transformation, you know, to the capability and the willingness of the org uh, and the use cases, right, whether it's products or internal efficiency. So we need that diversity of, of thought. And then secondly, you know, the reasons for changing um, are so complicated today. The world it was always changing, but now we see in aggregate, you know, the overlapping impacts of globalization, social media, outsourcing, and it's a really tall order for any one leader to uh, be up to speed and skilled in, you know, so many different aspects. So that's where it helps to have a, a range of diverse thought leaders who can look at any of those aspects you know, that contribute to today's, you know, very complex IT issues. As one of the leaders at 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 AT&T, are are you actively championing diversity in your team as well as other teams? Are you helping to drive that within the organization? I am. I, I, I believe in the pay it forward concept. So for every time, you know, a, a leader has reached out to me, even though it didn't seem on paper that I was a good fit or an obvious fit and given me a chance to engage or a chance to join the organization or, you know, a chance to um, speak up and, uh, you know, represent my ideas. I have this habit of paying it forward. So I remember these and I always plan out my next step. Um, Once I identify that's been done for me, you know, I believe that I should pay that forward by doing it for another leader because it's, it can't just be me. Almost every leader within the business is a business leader, just in a different way. So as, as you think about the cloud journey you've been on, and uh, I believe that started back at DirecTV and it continues definitely at AT&T Entertainment, what's been your biggest challenge that you faced as a leader in that cloud journey? Um, my biggest challenge has been speed. And so uh, the pace of competition today is getting faster and faster. At some point in my career 10 years ago, I had committed myself to changing projects, jobs every three years because I thought that was the tech cycle. 
Uh, I think the tech cycle in some spaces are, is faster than that. I know in the entertainment space, it's a constant battle to both, you know, have our own strategy and keep up with competition. So what I've realized is if, if the most difficult part of DevOps is a mindset shift, and that has to do with people, people actually don't change that fast. You know, our habits, uh, even though we don't like to admit it, are very ingrained in us. And so that's been my challenge is the business and the world moves faster and faster, but if people are the key, you know, important aspect of, of successful DevOps, how do you, you get people to change faster? Mm-hmm. That is a great challenge because I, as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, the, I think the, uh, the tech cycle now has gone from three years to about three minutes. Seems <laughs> like. right. And in uh, media and entertainment, I think it's even faster than uh, in some other industries. I want to go back to... One of the things that I talked about at the very beginning, and that is the description on your LinkedIn profile that talks about strategic focus on the workforce. And I just find those words interesting. So can you talk a little bit about how you see the workforce and the strategy, the strategic focus on that workforce playing out at AT AT&T? Sure. You know, a lot of people fear the cloud because they see it as jobs going away or jobs being outsourced or jobs being, you know, replaced by an AWS or an Azure by a cloud provider. But I don't see it that way. I see it as roles of the future. So I think one of the things that, uh, you know, I continue to be challenged with is to define for any given team, and this has to do with their motivations and their willingness, is what is my vision for their role in the future? And it does not start with you are eliminated. It starts with you are valued um, and you have skills. And in the future, if you use these skills and build on them, or you combine these skills with other new skills, your role in the future looks like this. And so um, that's been a major uh, both technical planning training and communication focus for me. And that's what I mean by strategic is we really have to look at the workforce and say, what does the org look like in the future down to each person or team? What is the definition of the role of the future for them? And then can we help them make that leap? Well, and it kind of plays into your love of art because you're painting a picture of the future for the individual that they can see themselves in Uh, and then react to. And I I think that's such an important trait or skill of a leader is to be able to talk about that vision of of the future, whether it's cloud or other technologies, but do it in such a way that the individual sees themselves in that future and is engaged in moving forward with that future. Yeah, that's right. And I'll just throw in one, uh, you know, at the start of my cloud journey, there's one specific individual who I think about all the time, Uh, who came to me and he was a firewall engineer. And he said, "Uh, Cecilia, I heard you were working on the cloud and setting up a cloud organization and I know nothing about it, but I want to join. And I told him, now you have a firewall background. Why would you be interested in cloud? And he said, I just can't see myself opening up and closing firewalls for the rest of my career. He goes, there has to be something different and there has to be something better. And I'm willing to do the work to get there. That's excellent. 
I imagine as a leader, you were uh, you were excited to have someone with that outlook on your team to be able to to bring them on board and help them grow, but also to influence the others on the team. Yes, he's one of the top architects now for AT and T's cloud efforts. So I'm, I'm, you know, so proud of of him, and so I feel so lucky that I, uh, you know, caught him at the right time and had an opportunity to offer him. That, that's excellent. So Cecilia, we're about out of time, but I have one one last question for you, and that is, what are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow? because they listen to us today? Number one, uh, I think as leaders, we have to be very good and skilled active listeners. So as I said, a lot of the trick is to understand the problem statement and uh, you know the problem that we're up against or what might hinder progress. So number one, you know, focus on really being observant and focusing on active listening. Um, so you can understand the motivations um, of all involved in your transformation. And then number two, my favorite quote from Teddy Roosevelt is about, you know, the dear mighty things. It's not the critic who counts, right? It's the man who's in the arena. And, you know, it's better to dare mighty things, um, win glorious triumphs, even, even checkered with failure than to be part of those poor spirits who live in the twilight, you know, that knows neither victory nor defeat, which means you have to be willing to roll your sleeves up, you know, get your hands dirty, demonstrate, right? Demonstrate in your own, you know, in your own way with your own teams, right? That you're willing to make that transformation. And this is how it is done. That's fantastic. And I don't think I could have thought of a better call to action than one from Roosevelt. That's fantastic. Cecilia, I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to to spend with us and our listeners and share a little bit about your career journey, your cloud journey, and your strategic approach to the workforce. So thank you very much, Cecilia. Yeah, you're welcome, Jeff. And I do have to say before we wrap, today's a, a special day in your household. And for those of you that are listening to this later, Today is when the Mars rover Perseverance is to land. Is that right? That's right. So um, just in probably two hours, two and a half hours, we will know whether Mars Perseverance rover has successfully landed on Mars. And that is my part-time job is supportive partner for my space explorer husband. This will be his second rover landing And this is just another fine example of, you know, engineering and art, you know, coming together into something that's Mm -hmm. inspirational. So I'm, you know, knock on wood, (laughs) so excited. Hopefully we have good news in two hours. I hope so. And I will be watching because of our conversation today. Uh, It's inspired me to, to tune in and watch some of that. So thank you for that. That's great. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Cecilia Como. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. 
If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.